Today's sermon is entitled, If God Be For Us, If God Be For Us. And if you can see underneath it, the sub says, God's cure for Christian separation anxiety. Understanding that if God is for us, will help cure your Christian separation anxiety. So, if God be for us, um, is a phrase that comes from the book of Romans, which is chapter 8. It's just after the passages we just read, which was Romans 8, 16 through 30. For those of you who want to reference that again, Romans 8, 16 through 30. Um, the doctrine Paul is writing to the Christians in Rome around A.D. 57 or so. Uh, so the Christians that were in Rome were new Christians uh, because this was uh, just after Christ had died, um, some 20 years after that. Um, and so the new Christians in Rome needed some understanding about you know, who God is, you know, proper doctrine, uh, because persecution of Christians was going to begin happening in the near future. They didn't know it was coming yet, but this was written around AD 57, but the persecution of Christians started around AD 64, 68, 5, 6, 7, somewhere around there. So Paul's job was to write this passage of scripture to give solid teaching about faith and salvation, you know, knowing who you are in God for both Jews and Greeks alike in Rome. So there were both, there were some Jews, some new, new Christians and new Greeks uh, believers, Gentile believers there. So at one point, Paul chooses to spend time on is the confidence and certainty we have of God being on our side, okay? Uh, so this whole newness and being a Christian in a land you're not really, you know, comfortable with, new ideas and new thoughts, you need to know, is this going to work? And it, it's kind of like People often, one of the age-old questions is, if God is good, why do we have evil in the land? Why does God allow people to be shot up in places? Um, and so, again, this passage helps us stay connected with what the truth is. And so what happens in these types of scenarios when things troubling happen, many people suffer from what's called separation anxiety. Separation Anxiety. I'll tell you a little bit more about that. Separation anxiety is uh, 
an intense fear of being separated from someone that you love greatly. Okay, so you you have a fear of being separated from something you trust, someone you have confidence in, you believe in, and you love greatly. It's mostly found in infants and toddlers. Uh, it usually goes away around the age of two or three, where the child can't stand being away from their parent. But it can be found as a disorder and be prolonged into teenage years and even adulthood. So this is more common in the infant and, and, and the, the toddler, but if it doesn't go away, it can be more of a disorder and kind of move into your adulthood if you don't do something responsive to it. So Paul is writing this book to try and help with these new Christians, infants, toddlers in the faith to help them not be afraid of what was happening in this separation of God not being there with them. Christ is no longer on earth. Where is this God who I say I believe in? And so this separation disorder is often caused by traumatic experiences of losing a loved one or being abruptly separated from someone you love. When someone you love abruptly passes away and you're devastated, you can experience separation anxiety. Uh, It can happen in the death of a family member or even divorce can create that. You can be married to somebody for so many years, 20 years, 30 years, and all of a sudden you get a divorce or your partner passes away. You can experience separation anxiety. So there's this maybe even relocation. You move to another state, another uh, city, and you separate from the people you love. So Romans is an appropriate book for new believers who needed to know that their parent, God, the Father, you know, even when we pray, our Father, who art in heaven, our Father, we need confidence that he won't leave us. I know you probably don't worry about that, but I'm telling you, you go through enough trials, you'd be wondering, God, where are you? Amen? So Paul was writing that they would be covered and cared for, that they would understand that God is always with you. And I can imagine people in Monterey Park this morning are wondering, where is God in all of this? Where, what's happening? Is he even real? And I've questioned my faith at times. And I've said to myself, man, is this real? I don't see him. I, don't, I can't touch him. You know, you go through the motions. So in many senses, Paul is acting in a pastoral role to these new believers in Rome and had announced that he would be coming to see them soon. He said, I'm coming, I got you, I'm coming. And so I come online today on this Sunday to remind you that God is with you and that you can have the confidence uh, that he is not going to leave you and that you shouldn't fear. So just like Paul was doing centuries ago, For new believers in Rome, I'm online to say to you, no matter what's going on in your life, I've got a word to say, if God before us, it ought to cure your separation 
anxiety, if you're feeling like God is not with you, that he uh, is no longer pulling your number, he used to talk to you, he used to do miracles through you, he used to be a blessing to so many people through you, but you haven't been used in a long time. I came to talk to people who may be feeling separation, anxiety. And so part of our success in this world Lou is knowing without a doubt that nothing will be able to separate us from God. You cannot be a good worker, a server, a family member if you're always scared that she's going to leave me. You cannot be successful. God, I felt him right there. You cannot be successful on the job if you're paranoid about being fired every other day. Hallelujah. You cannot be a good husband or a good wife if you're worried, is, is he going to quit me today? Is, is she going to leave me today? Are my children going to rebel against me? You cannot be successful at what God has called you to do if you're in danger of experiencing separation anxiety. And such is the focus of today's lesson. And there is a very common phrase we hear. And I want to say the whole phrase this time. And I want you to say it after I say it. But the phrase is, we hear it, if God be for us, who can be against us? Say it with me this time. If God be for us, who can be against us? But here's the problem with this phrase. Oftentimes we use this phrase to emphasize the latter part of the phrase and we tend to gloss over the beginning. See, it comes out as sass. Well, if God be for us, then who can be against me? And what you're focusing on is who can't be against you. And that's why you're quoting, many people quote the phrase or the scripture because they're trying to show you can't do nothing to me. You, you're, you can't be against me. But I remember someone who wrote me a letter years ago saying this phrase. And I happened to know that she didn't particularly care for me or a decision that I made that impacted her. So she sent me a letter in my ministry with this phrase pinned on the front of the envelope as if to say, nothing I have done can stop her. So it was a clear point uh, of emphasis that you didn't put it in the letter, you put it on top of the letter on the envelope so that the first thing I would see is that if God be for me, you basically can't be against me. But here's what I learned, that if she was focused, she was focused on the letter, the latter part of the phrase, ideally me. She was casting a pun at me being against her. But what we'll learn today is that if we focus on God being for us, really anyone against us is irrelevant. It doesn't matter. We will learn that it's not what is against us that matters. It really is more important to know who is for us. I'm going to say that again. It's not who is against us that matters. It's really more important to know who is for us. And so what we spend our lives doing is worrying about who's against us. We're frustrated and angry and we're keeping notes of who's against us. 
We take all kinds of time to identify who our haters are. We have a list of all of those who we know mean us no good. But I came to tell you, the phrase should be, if God be for us. Not who can be against us, but focus on if God before us. And see, the, the, the phrase doesn't even include anything about an enemy. It has nothing to do with what's wrong. It has everything to do with what's right. And what's right in your life is that God is on your side. So allow me some time to prove this theory and share its importance to our lives as Christians. So let's look at today's text. Turn with me to Romans 8.31. Romans 8.31, and it reads like this. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Now, as you can see, the text consists of two questions. The first one is, what shall we then say to these things? What things? The things that were read above. The second question is, if God be for us, who can be against us? And there are no answers to the questions. These are just two rhetorical questions, which implies that the answers are obvious. They are unspoken. And these are obvious rhetorical questions. In other words, what shall we say to these things? And I'll give you the answers later on. But these questions are understood to those who understand the question. In other words, the answer is understood by those who understand the question. So in Romans 8, Paul asks and he answers seven successive questions to help us believers realize how much really God is with us and is invested in us. And we're not going to focus on the enemy. We're going to focus on the positive of if God is for us. So the questions preclude some astounding revelations for those of us who suffer in some sense from Christian separation anxiety. I want to talk to people who feel like God has forgotten your phone number. To anyone who feels like God is not answering your prayers lately and he seems to be late to everything you need him to show up to. For the Christians, separation anxiety can look like this. The Christian who fears separation anxiety, this is the fear of wondering if we're going to be separated from the things of God. Christians often feel like I'm not connected with the things of God. It is the fear of losing things God has given us or promised us. For some, people say, oh, God gave me the house. I'm, 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 I got a blessing. And then we'll turn around when the house is in foreclosure and be afraid that I'm about to be separated from the blessing that God gave me. That's Christian separation. Anxiety, it's the fear of losing something that you've worked so hard for. And you're afraid that the devil is going to come and 
take it away. That's all right. You ain't got to say amen because none of y'all are worried about that. Some of you are so locked in. That's all right. But some of us know that we have been blessed with some stuff, but we can't sleep at night because we worried about how we're going to make the payments. We're worried about is the bank going to come and take it at some point. And then you worry about, well, if I don't live right, you know, we make the promise, God, if you do this for me, I'll I stop cussing. Three months into the payments or what being blessed by God, you start cussing again. Now you're worried. Oh, he's going to take it away. Am I talking to anybody? I'm trying to help you understand something from a, a biblical, a spiritual perspective that helps you relate to separation anxiety. You talk about sometimes can we lose our relationship or our connection to God? Sometimes you don't feel saved. Some people don't go to church because they know they was at the club last night and they say, well, I ain't coming. You got separation anxiety. You are afraid that God is not going to bless you in church just because you had sex last night. Nah, that's all right. Write me. Write me an email. You're afraid that because you didn't say it right or do it right, that God's not going to be right with with you. I came to tell you, Paul is preaching to people who fear separation anxiety. Will I be able to live without my church? Will I be able to live without my family? I know some people whose families have rejected them. I know people whose family don't want nothing to do with you anymore and you fear separation anxiety. Can you make it without the loved ones who you used to be at dinner with all the time who came to your grand graduation who supported you when you got your new car now they are m-i-a missing in action i don't listen if i don't live right will god turn the devil loose on me that's all right you're not gonna say amen i remember asking in choir rehearsal one night to shirley russo the late shirley russo i asked a question and i said will god if i sin is god waiting around the corner with a hammer to knock me out she said no, you're forgetting about God's grace and his mercy. I was having separation anxiety because I knew I wasn't living right. These are all real questions and feelings that can cause a tremendous amount of stress, anxiety, and worry. I'm trying to, remember I told you I'm going deep on the inside. We talked about happiness. We talked about lies. We've talked about all these different things. I want to deal with the human you. And I don't want you coming online, Tony, thinking that area or coming to church and feeling like, well, you got it all together. No, be real enough. I wonder, is God with me? I'm afraid that I pissed my husband or wife off. Are they going to walk out on me? If I don't respond right, will my children still love me? I want to talk to people who have some anxiety and some worries. So I'm going to give you the seven questions that Paul asks, and then I'll give you the answers at the end. Is that all right? Let me read these questions to you. The first question is, and we read it already, what shall we say to these things? That's the question. Question two, if God be for us, who can be against us? Question three, he spared not, uh, hang on, sorry, number two, if God be for us, who can be against us? Number three, he spared not his only son, how shall he not freely give us all things? Remember, these are rhetorical questions with obvious answers. So look at the power of the question. Number four says, 
who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Well, obvious answer, five. Who is he that condemns? These are all successive questions that Paul just rattles off in these verses. Number six says, who shall separate us? There it is, separation anxiety from the love of Christ. And then question seven, what shall separate us from the love of Christ or tribulation? What shall separate us? Tribulation and it gives a list, but it's too long for me to put on, on the screen. Now, what I want to show you is that with all, while all of these questions are extremely valuable and each one of these really are sermons in and of themselves, I only have time to deal with one today. So today I'd like to focus on the question, if God be for us, oh God, I feel him, who shall be, who is, who can be against us? So I want to focus though on the first part of that, if God be for us. And so when I first started thinking of this, give me a little time, Ben. I'm working on it. I'm trying to get this together, LaTanya. Stick with me. You with me, Law? Let me know you're with me. When I first started thinking of this text, at first I viewed the if as a, as a condition as if God could not be for us. So watch what I'm saying. I first looked at it to say, if God be for you, like, if he's for you, like if, if, if he's for you, as if he cannot be for you. So if, as if wondering conditionally, is he for you? And I was thinking, wow, but the text doesn't say, uh, if God be for you, the text says, if God be for us, well, who is us? The believers. So it's not about whether or not God, if God be for us, it's not a question of condition. It's not if God, well, we don't know. It's not a question of, well, we don't know. The context reminded me that he's writing to a group of believers, not unbelievers. So God can't not be for us. I'm using a double negative, which means he is for us. He can't not be for us, which means he is for us. So grammatically, listen, the if used here is used not as in condition, but it's used as in cause and effect. So the text is saying, if God be for us, in other words, if this happens as in cause, the cause is that God is for us, then the effect is no one can be against us. Let me let me say that again. The cause is the cause is God is for us. Because there's no condition of whether or not he can be or not be for us. So the cause is the reality, the truth is that he is for us and because because the cause because he is for us then this happens. Are you tracking? Well, what happens? That no one can be against us. So let's dig into this a little further. Look at this point number one. The phrase is, if God be for us. If God be for us. And I'm repeating it 
on purpose multiple times because I want you to become familiar with it. The phrase sums up all of our privileges in him. The phrase sums up all of our benefits and our blessings in him. This phrase, if God be for me, sets the groundwork for everything else you got, you need in your life. If God is on my side, I ain't got to, I got my rent. I got my, I got all, if God, if I can establish an understanding of the cause, the cause, listen, it's going to work out because God is for, are you tracking? This is the ground or the root of all of our confidence and the triumphs in our life that I can make it because of this phrase of God being forth. It is why the phrase begins with it, because what comes after it is pointless once we establish that God is for us. Are you? I told you I was going to prove my intro theory. If God is for us, everything after that is pointless, but we have to say it because the unbeliever has to understand the full context. But we as believers know the outcome already. Wasn't it Jesus who prayed when he went to raise Lazarus? He said, Jesus, I know you. He said, Father, I know you always hear me. He says, but I'm praying out loud so those who around me can know what I already know. Oh my God. So the text is, is communicating that God is for. So in essence, listen, the phrase is saying, Riri, if God be for us, listen, if God is for us, then all our enemies must be his. Oh, if God is for us, then all our enemies must be God's enemies. Oh, you're going to miss this. So the fight is not even with us if God is for us. When you get into an argument with people, you have allowed yourself to be for yourself. But when you let God be for you, whatever is attacking you is attacking God. So the fight is not with us, but with the one who represents us. So when we say God is for us, Tabitha, listen, Tabitha, when we say God is capital F-O-R, for us, we're saying God acts in behalf of us or for the sake of us. Come on, Lou, you know what I'm saying right here. You don't have to worry about what is happening. When we know God is for us, we're saying that he represents us, that he is acting on behalf of us or for the sake of us. Watch this now. If you haven't been to court, I've been to court, I've been to court, I've been to court. I've been to court. I've been to court. I keep going to court some kind of way. I don't know how. But when I have an attorney, my attorney speaks for me. He represents. Ah, man, that's all right. God then becomes the spokesperson for your life. And the Greek term for this is huper, which means beyond the point or 
above the mark, which is saying that God being for us means he goes beyond us. So watch this. It means that when I walk in the courtroom, yes, you see the natural human me. The case is not against your attorney. The case is against you. Your name is on the document. But the beauty of God being for us, the term who pair means he goes beyond you. In other words, he transcends you and says, I'll take it from here. Oh my God. Which is saying that God being for us means he goes beyond us. He extends beyond our human ability. That's what some of y'all get lost. You get frustrated because you've done all that you can do. God says, I can go beyond what you can do. And he extends himself above us into our fights. He'll jump in our situations and our dilemmas. I keep telling the story about how my big brother protected me on the softball field. In other words, when he saw that I reached my limit of getting the best of the other person, big brother jumped in to take on our God. When God sees that you can't go any further, he says, God is for you. So maybe we should look at it like this. Oh, look out, Ben. How about this, Lisa? If maybe we should, if God be for us, in other words, if God be, let's focus on the be. We focused on the for, but we say, if God be for us, if God be for us, if God be for us, what? If he be for us, light. Let's say if God be for us, a bridge. Let's say if God be for us, bread. Let's say if God be for us, the way. Let's say God be for us, transportation. Let's say if God be for us, a shield. Let's say if God be for us, our protection. Let's say if God be for us, our lawyer. In other words, let's let God, when we, when we hear if God be for us, let's view it as he exists in the thing of what we need. So instead of us being it, God is it. Oh man. So the help you need is not you, but it's, in other words, whatever you need, quote the scripture, if God be for me, rent. If God be for me, a marriage partner. If God be for, oh, and so what is the, what's the end of the phrase? If God be for us, then who can be (laughs) That's a tough deal. Is anybody getting a shot? I don't know. This might be, t- never mind. You don't like it. You want to go, go home. Let's finish it. Conclude. Start the music. Never mind. I can't go on. Listen, and if he is those things for us, if he's a roof over our head, if he's a way to work every week, oh man, doggone it. If he's food on our table, if he's the bread of heaven, if he's water from the rock, if he's the antibiotic you need to heal your body, if he's the heart rate that you need to come up, oh God, he can't, listen, If he is for us, in other words, if he is those things for us, then he cannot be those things against us. If God is our bridge over troubled water, then he cannot be against us.
against us. In other words, there's no option because truth is what it is. So if God is your provision, then he cannot be against you being provided for. My point is that God is so true, that he is so assuring, that he is so certain that when you know God is for you, whatever tries to be against you cannot be against God because God cannot be changed. So from this truth, calm down, we learn that God is never against us when we know God is for us. So for those of you, I used to think when my mama would say, you're going to get a whooping when you get home. And she would say, uh, go to the bathroom. And she pull her belt out and she give me a little spanking. I used to think mama wasn't for me. <laughs> I used to think mama wasn't on my, do you love whipping me like that woman? Do you love me still? <laughs> and I had forgotten that I'm talking to my parent, that my mother. So from this truth, we learn that God is never against us and parents should always be for their children. I forgot that. I let the punishment make me think she was against me. And that's what we do sometimes. We let our circumstance dictate to us and make us think that God must be against us. And then it creates separation anxiety. I came to tell you that God has not forgotten you, that God still loves you, that God is not mad at you, that God is not setting you up for failure because he cannot be for you and against you at the same time. It cannot happen. The one who said, let your yay be nay, and your your yea be yea and your nay be nay cannot be both. God doesn't say I'm going to bless you today but I'm going to destroy you tomorrow. He doesn't do it. He doesn't do it. So if God has said he's going to take care of your children, all you need to do is God be for us. Don't worry about the second part of it. Is your marriage going to work if God be for us? Am I going to get this job if God be for us? It doesn't matter if God be my rent, if God be my food. If God be the clothes on my back, let your yay be yay and your nay be nay. In fact, even when it seems that God is acting against us, he's actually acting for our good. How many of you know mama used to say, my daddy used to say, this gonna hurt me more than it hurt you, but I'm doing this for your good. Come on, somebody shimmy with me, won't you? That even when God seems to discipline us and set us straight, the bad that we think is happening is actually happening for our good. So if God be for us, he cannot be against us. So I want to point out the, the obvious. So I want to point out the obvious of the second part of the phrase. The second part of the phrase is who can be against us? Who can be against us? So we've got the first part, but let's look at who can be against us. There is no doubt that there are things against us. There is no doubt, right? There is no doubt 
Grizz. The things are against us, Cousin Kevin. There is no doubt, uh, Jonna, that, that there are things against us. That That's not the question, right? It's not the question. We, we wake up this morning, we see shooting and violence in the world. That's not at question. What's at question is their effect upon us. Remember, cause and effect, cause and effect. Because we know this, what is the effect that this has on us? If God be for me, whatever the enemy tries, what effect will it have on me? Are you tracking? So what effect will there be um will their the enemies being against us have upon us? In other words, the goal of the attack is not to succeed. The goal of the attack is to separate us from our love and create separation anxiety. Here's my point. What I'm trying to say is the devil knows that he can't beat God. So instead of knowing that he can't beat God, what he tries to do is frustrate you. In other words, he looks at the lower you and says, all right, I can't beat him. Then let me frustrate the son. Let me get Cherry so frustrated and angry that he thinks that he thinks God is against him. Do you see the triangle? So the devil knows he can't beat God. So he attacks you so that you on the lower end then attack God and say, why aren't you helping me? Well, wait a minute. He's already, do you, did you forget the phrase? If God be for us. So we panic when we feel attacked, right? Whenever we feel attacked, we, we get defensive. When we feel somebody's criticizing us, we get defensive, right? And it creates anxiety. Well, Paul's point of writing this is to say, don't panic. God is for you. That's what you need to know today, that regardless of what you're going through, God is for you. All you need to be clear on is God is for you. Ephesians 6 verses 10 through 18 or, 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 or so, Ephesians 6 says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and wickedness in high places. So it's a fact that the devil is trying to mess us up. But the reality is the devil cannot control our destiny. He can frustrate our destiny, but he cannot alter our destiny. Do you remember when Job was dealing with the devil and God said, you can touch everything around him, but you cannot touch him. In other words, the devil has limitations. So we are encouraged to put on the whole armor of God because God is saying you're going to be attacked. But what you have to remember in the attack, if I'm for you, <laughs> it ain't going to work. Like the text says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. It's not going to work. First Peter 5 and 8 says, the devil roars around seeking believers to devour them. 
That's 1 Peter 5 and 8. Says the devil traipses around, roaring like, ah, like a lion. Ah, who can I scare? Ah, I'm a scare Cynthia. Ah, I'm a scare cousin. Ah, I'm a scare Sharon. Ah, I'm a scare the deacon. He roars around trying to scare people into thinking, I'm going to get you. And what that means is he's saying, I'm going to separate you from your love. I'm going to separate you from the things that make you happy. I'm going to separate you from the things that give you contentedness. He roars to create separation. Are you getting what I'm saying? Your lawsuit you're dealing with is to come to create separation from the God who loves you, to make you separate from a life that you know you were described or created to live, that you believe that because you're in debt, that you'll never experience happiness. That's a lie from the devil. Anything can happen. You can get money from nowhere. The job can come. People can give you a promotion. God can do anything. Don't you dare sit at home and say, it's over for me. As long as you're breathing on earth, you still have hope. I don't want to get off on that. We know we have opposition, but Paul is alluding to the reality of our humanity. Here it is again, Ben. I'm back over there. We're dealing with humanity that I got to deal with cantankerous folk. I got to deal with jealous and envious folk. I got to deal with people who want what I have. I got to deal with a devil who's mad that I'm saved. I got to deal with the family member who doesn't like what I look like. I got to deal with a neighbor who hates that what car I drive. Paul is not saying that just because God is for us that you won't suffer troubles in your life. But what he's saying is when the troubles come, just remember if God is for you, it ain't going to make a difference. Second Timothy 3 and 12 says this, if God, uh, of all those who live godly will suffer persecution. Second Timothy 3 and 12 tells us we're going to have a little trouble. Second Timothy 3 and 12 says if you live godly, you're going to have persecution. The text seems to be suggesting that the real problem is not our opposition, but it's what we believe about our God. The problem is not the people who are attacking you. The problem is about what you think about the God who is for you. And if we can't trust God to get us out of it, then we're focusing on the opposition, not the God who is for us. To argue with your enemy is to demonstrate and to admit that you have allowed them to separate you from the God who is for you. I'm going to say that again. Every time you get into a back and forth with your enemy, you are admitting and demonstrating that they have separated you from the confidence and the trust and the faith you have in God that you actually think arguing is going change the situation. When you ought to sit back and say, say what you're going to say, do what you're going to do. It ain't going to harm me. God is for me. Instead of jumping in and saying, oh, what you got to say? I'm going to key your car. I'm going to do all this. I'm going to fight you. You have just demonstrated that you have forgotten the first part of the phrase if God be for us. Listen, we cannot allow the opposition that we might face to make us doubt the confidence in the certainty we have of 
the failure of the opposition to be successful in its ploy. So when I know God is for me, I essentially know that whatever the enemy is doing is not going to work. I can't let the devil's antics and his roaring make me forget that he's already a loser. Oh, I love this. Watch this. So Stephen E. Runge in his commentary on Romans said, present battles indicate nothing about the overall war. Oh, I love that. Don't let the present battle dictate the outcome of the overall war. You may have got a judgment in this case this time, but God's going to give me the money to pay you back or give me an attorney who's going to overturn it. In other words, you won the battle, but you will not win the war. Can I get a witness or an amen? Anybody ever experience a temporary loss, but you won the big deal. We don't need to make a long list of those things that are against us. Instead, we need to focus on the one bullet point that matters most. In other words, stop making these 25 bullet points of everybody who's against you and you make one bullet point. And all I need to know, who's for me? And if God be for us, are you getting it now? Do you understand how it fits when you feel anxious, when you feel separated, when you feel overrun, overwhelmed, say this quietly to yourself, God is for me. Just start saying, God is for me. Whenever you feel like you're by yourself, God is for me. Single and all alone, you're thinking no man or woman is going to love you. God is for me. Because, ah, God, never mind. Y'all don't get it. I'm going to preach to myself. That means no matter what happens, I'm still going to be okay. Hallelujah, God. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It doesn't matter what happens. I'm still going to be okay. Uh, Help me through here. Because in verse 28, above in Romans 8, it was Paul who had just said, in all things, Tony, uh, God is at work for the good of those who love the Lord and are the called according to his. It's going to work out. It's going to work out. God is in it. If God be for us, he's going to bring good out of it, no matter what the enemy does on our behalf. So in light of this information, let's compound this assurance by answering the rest of Paul's questions. Let's put the text on the screen. Romans 8 31 through 39. Look at the questions and I'm going to give you the answer. The question first one is what shall we say to these things? Well what things? Verses 17 through 30 above. Whatever is being talked about in Romans 8. What shall we say to the suffering and the provisions that God gives us? What's the rhetorical answer? There was no answer for it. He says nothing. Speechless. There is no answer. What shall we say? Ain't nothing we can say. But give him glory. Hallelujah. Give hallelujah. Help me, Lord. God, you don't have words to say it. You don't have words, oh, when God, you don't have words to say, come on, PC, pull it together, you don't have words to say, you don't have the speech, you don't have the articulation to put together the understanding of what God has done and made possible for you, so the answer to question one is, you can't say nothing, this is question 
One of seven. And this next question is, if God be for us, then the text says, who can be against us? What's the obvious answer? No one. We answered that. It's rhetorical. Who can be against us? But look at verse 32. Here comes question number three. He says, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? In other words, he will. He will give us freely all things. If he gave up his only son, he'll give us whatever we need. Look at 33. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Basically, no one. The text says it is God that justifies. All of you who are afraid, all of you who are afraid of who's thinking and saying whatever they're saying about you and whether or not they got an opinion about you, this text right here quoted on let me don't let me get the clapping boo don't let me read the scripture on your boo the text says in verse 33 put it on the screen who shall lay any charge to the anything to the charge of God's elect it is God who justified all you need to be concerned about is God look at 34 here comes question number from 34 who is he that condemns it is Christ that died yea rather that is risen again who is even at the right hand of God who is also making intercession for us. So for anybody who says who can who condemns only God justifies. He's the only one who can be a judge in your court of life. But look at 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? That's your question. Separation anxiety is answered point blank. Who shall separate us? Basically, no one. No one can separate us from the love of Christ. And then he goes on, shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? So the next part of that question is, what shall separate us? The answer again is nothing. (laughs) Oh, I feel like shouting, y'all. He says, and is it written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. In other words, you gonna have trouble, but ain't nothing gonna separate you. And then 37, he crescendos into the final phrase. He answers all the questions and he says, in all these things, (laughs) nay, in all these things, nay, in all these things. So the answer is nay means no. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And here's that term again in conquerors, meaning the first term, hooper nicomen. In other words, super above and beyond. We are super above and beyond what a conqueror is. He says we are more than conquerors. You got this, Latanya. You got got this Riri, you got this law, you got this Shana in other words we're more than conquerors but look at 38 and 39 he says for I am persuaded, is anybody gonna be persuaded today, put me on screen put me on screen, is anybody gonna be persuaded today can anybody be persuaded today of this outcome, look at the text, he says I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor my husband acting up, 
nor my kids getting kicked out of school, nor my job firing me, nor me running out of gas, nor me running out of money. I will let nothing, look at this, 39 says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to do what? Separate. Somebody say separate. Separate. Say it again. Separate. If you are stuck on separation anxiety, God says, I'll let nothing separate you from me. Don't you worry about a break, a breach in our contract. I'm for you. When he leaves you, I'm still for you. When you sin, I'm still for you. When you're broke, I'm for you. When you got a whole lot of money, I'm for you. When you're white, I'm for you. When you're black, I'm for you. When you're on this side, I'm for you. When you're on that side, I'm for you. Put the text on the screen. He says, I'll let nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So Jesus is our solution to everyday fears of separation, anxiety. And Paul is convinced and seeks to persuade the believer not to worry that neither death should, should we even die. God says, when you die, you won't even be separated from from me. He says, if you die on the gurney, if your line flat lines, I watched my mother's heartbeat go all the way down to a blip, to a blip, to a flat line. But I rested assured because I know what the word says. Neither death nor life shall separate. God was for her. God was standing there. I got you, Opalie. He was saying, you will never be out of my sight. You will never not be without me. You will never be able to see yourself alone in a situation. God, I hope somebody is hearing this. No angels, nor demons, not a co-worker, not an ex-boyfriend, not an ex-wife, not a litigator, not a hater, not anybody on your street, you hear me, will be able to separate you from God loving you. Don't you fear because God is for us. I put this conclusion on the screen. The question, if God be for us, tells our ripped apart world today. And that's what our world looks like. It looks like a separated world. Jews and Gentiles, black and white, Republicans and Democrat, gays and straight, Lost and found, rich and poor, separated, separated in so many ways. God's text in Romans 8 and 31 comes today to say no matter how bad it gets, God is still on the side of humanity. The pandemic took us all through a whirlwind. But this text says God is still for the people he created because God cannot be against what he has put together. It says God is on the side of believers. God is on the side of humanity. God is on the side of believers and God is on the side of himself. No matter what's happening in our world, 
if God be for us. I want to tell President Biden, I want to talk to you, whoever's in the White House, if God be for us, hallelujah, if God be for your marriage, hallelujah, if God be for your children and your family, hallelujah, why are you fighting one another? If God be for you, let the Lord fight your battles, hallelujah. You're fighting, and every time you fight, it creates greater separation. Every time we argue racially, we create a greater chasm between our skins. Every time you battle with your enemy, you create a deeper canvas chasm between you and the power of unity. Paul makes his point by illustrating that in our humanity, things happen. But we must remain confident. That that's part of being in this world. It's part of this world for people to not like what you did. But rest assured, even though the weapon is formed, it will not prosper. God said, I'll let the devil form it. But it ain't going to work. Translated properly, it means nothing will be able to stop you from being who God has called you to be. And doing what God has called you to do. The reason we get sidetracked is because we're focused on things we want to do. And when that doesn't work, we say God is against us. That's not true, beloved. You've got your own plan. And you've got to get back on his plan so it can start working. If everything isn't working, God, then you might be on the wrong track. No, we aren't doing the thing he wants Anything wants anything that God wants us to do will work. You hear me? Anything that God wants us to do will work. So if it's not working, meaning if it's not going to happen, if it's not going to happen, then it may not be what God wants for you. But if if you if you're doing what God has called you to do and you got some setbacks but you keep progressing, if if you have a trouble but you keep going toward it, that don't mean God's against you. That don't mean that it's not going to work. That just means you got trouble and you got to keep telling yourself if God be for me, this business is going to work. Humanity starts with a big yes from God. Humanity starts with a big yes. I'm for you. And then we get a series of no no's. Adam and Eve eat the fruit and people start saying no and people start acting stupid and sin comes in. We got the big yes in the beginning, then we got all these no's, but we have to remind ourselves of our first yes. You've got to ignore the no's. All the no's in your head that come at night when you lay down and you can't sleep and you're panicking because of what you're afraid of. Remember the first yes. And that's what Paul is doing today. He's reminding us, if God be for us, no matter what you're up against, it won't stop God's work in and through you. So look at your circumstance and say, you've already got a yes from God. You've already got a yes. God wants your marriage to work. God wants your marriage to work. He said, what, what God has put together, let no man put asunder. He wants your marriage to work. You get with your husband, you get with your kids, and you say, if God be for us, we're going to make it through this. You're going to get off these drugs. You're going to stop this acting up. You, if God be for us, 
I have hope. Is anybody hearing what I'm saying? So start living your life from the front end of today's question instead of fearing the back end of it. Who can be against us? Yes, it is true, beloved. God is for us. And Lisa, he always will be. (laughs) Never worry about separation again. For his name is Emmanuel. And that means God is with us. He said in Matthew, Lo, I will be with you always, even unto the end of the ages. I'm PC. And that's all I've got.